Beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke's Gospel as we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8. We're going to read verses 40 through 56 uh, this morning. How many of you have had a very hectic couple of weeks? I have. Maybe it's just with all the things that are gearing up in the life of the church and some other things happening in the life of the community. And so my heart was already blessed by this passage this morning because what we're going to read this morning is a unique account in the Gospels because normally the Gospels will give us an account of Jesus goes to this person, he heals this person. But it's just like complete pandemonium that's going on in this passage because Jesus is encountered with a situation where a young girl needs healed and then on his way to going to address that need, another need gets addressed and, and solved as well. And so I appreciated this week just the hecticness and the seeming pandemonium of what's going on in this passage. So listen to God's word this morning as we look at Luke chapter 8. We're going to read together verses 40 through 56 for this morning's message. If you don't have a, a Bible, uh, you can pull one up on your phone or you can turn in the pew Bible there. Hear God's word. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age. And she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, uh, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he, talking about Jesus, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But 
taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O sovereign God, thank you for sending your only begotten Son, who is the sovereign Savior of sinners. Stir within our hearts this morning, if we're not already there, a desperation for you. And help us to leave here today truly and completely depending upon Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will never forget the phone call. The phone call came on January 8th, 2013. The sound of the voice on the other line of that telephone call was my mother-in-law, Susan Faulkner. I have a great relationship with my mother-in-law because I have a great mother-in-law. I could hear in her voice a heaviness and a weightiness, and I knew something was terribly wrong. I anticipated it was Jennifer's grandmother, the mean one, and I assumed that she had just gone on to be with the Lord, and so I interrupted my mother-in-law and I said, is it, I asked the question, is it mamaw? And there was a long pause, and I could hear further desperation in my mother-in-law's voice as she said, No, Tanner, it's Jim, her husband, my father-in-law, Jennifer's dad. So what happened? She said, Well, he was taking down the Christmas lights today, and as he was up on the extension ladder about one and a half to two stories high, the ladder failed. And Jim fell one and a half to two stories and landed face first on the pavement. It was a miracle that he didn't die instantly. She was calling to let me know that he had been at their local hospital and he was about ready to be airlifted to Roanoke, Virginia. And she said, Tanner, it's bad. And I don't know if he's going to make it. As I got Jennifer and our things together, that drive was the longest drive Jennifer and I have ever endured. Not knowing what was awaiting us at the end of that drive, whether or not her dad would even be alive. In that moment, we were desperate. Now you've met Jennifer's mom and dad, so you know the end of the story that he survived by God's grace. But in that moment, we were desperate. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever been desperate to see God move? Maybe it was because someone that you know and love was sick and they needed healed. Or maybe it was because of the fact that you were in sorrow and you had just lost someone that you know and love. 
Or maybe it was because you know there's a sin in your life that needs to be addressed and needs to be fixed. Are you desperate this morning? Some of you are. Some of you are desperate because you're in a situation or circumstance right now and you feel helpless and you feel hopeless. Good, because Jesus has just the right passage for you to take a look at today. It's a good place to be in when you're desperate for Jesus. That's what we encounter in this passage this morning. Is we encounter two families that are desperate for Jesus. We see the testimony of one ruler of the synagogue named Jairus in this passage who comes to Jesus because Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter and we learn that it's his only child. And she's on the bed at his house and she's sick and she's dying. Obviously, Jairus comes to Jesus Because he's desperate. Jairus knows there's nothing else he can do to try to help his daughter. And so he comes to Jesus begging him. Imploring him, it says. Continuously begging him and falling at Jesus' feet. Please come to my house, it says in verse 41. And then we encounter another individual in this passage that is desperate for Jesus. It's the woman. With a discharge of blood that she's endured for 12 years. And it says that she spent her entire treasure, all her entire wealth on physicians trying to get a cure, trying to get a heal. And now she comes to Jesus. and She sneaks up on him in a stealth way upon Jesus. And she touches just the fringe of his garment from behind him. Why? Because she's desperate. Are you desperate today? If you are, good. Because what you're going to learn in this passage today is that God can do great things in the life of people that are desperate for him. And it's worth coming to Jesus desperate. Do you know why? Because he's a sovereign savior. And that's really the big idea of today's message is that You need to be desperate for Jesus, and it's worthy to be desperate of Jesus because he is a sovereign Savior that's worthy of your faith and trust. So this morning, I want us to take a look at this passage, take a stroll through this passage as our faith in him is strengthened. Why? Because we're going to explore together this morning several ways that we can be encouraged that Jesus is bigger than the problems in our life because Jesus is A sovereign Savior. The first way that we know in this passage, we learn this passage, that Jesus is a sovereign Savior, that He's supreme, that He's the ultimate ruler, is because He has the sovereign ability to handle everything in your life. That's the first point for those of you that are note takers. Jesus has sovereign ability. Look at verses 41 through 42. This, this man named Jairus comes to Jesus, falls at Jesus' feet, and implores Jesus to come to his house and begs him to heal his daughter who's 12 years of age because she was dying. 
But what does Jesus say if you skip over to verse 49? It says that while Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. But what does Jesus say? Do not trouble. They say, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered them in verse 50. Do not fear, only believe. Why does Jesus say that? He says, she will be well. Because Jesus knows he's the sovereign savior in this situation. Jesus has the sovereign ability to not only heal the woman of the discharge, we're going to learn about in just a few moments, but to resurrect this dead girl from the dead. Why should you be encouraged today when you find yourself in a moment of desperation? Because you serve a sovereign Savior who has the sovereign ability to heal you, to forgive you, to save you, and to change you. And when needed, he will always sustain you. Why should you be encouraged today if you find yourself desperate? Because you serve a sovereign Savior who has sovereign ability over everything in your life. And we see that in verses 44 through 46. The woman with the discharge says, She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was that touched me when all denied it? Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. It's beautiful. She sneaks up on Jesus, touches the hem of his garment. And how do we see Jesus' sovereign ability to heal her in this passage? Immediately, her discharge of blood stops. Jesus' sovereign ability. And we see Jesus' sovereign ability to resurrect the dead. In verse 54, when he says, child, arise. Patrick Darty and I love getting to know you better. We cherish opportunities and only have conversations with you between Sunday school and worship, but we, we priv- we've counted a privilege every time we get to go out to eat with you all or visit you in your home and just get to know you and your lives and your stories better. There's one thing i got to brag about our church this morning. It's how many good men we have in this church. And how many of their wives know that they're good men and brag on them regularly? We've got a lot of good guys around here that are good handymen. I mean, they may not be a construction worker by trade, but they're handymen. And I always love to hear wives say, my husband can do anything. That's awesome. They say, you know, he can fix anything. He can do anything. I have a dream about a back porch. He can just make it happen. Something breaks on the HVAC unit, and he can just... Even if he doesn't know how to do it, he'll tear it apart and then he'll learn about it and then he'll fix it. I thought to myself, man, that's the way the men in my family are. My grandpa, he was like that. My grandma would say, my husband, he can do anything. My dad was like that. He was a handyman. He could fix it. He could do anything. But I'm not like that. Poor Jennifer can't say that about me, that I'm a handyman, I can fix it. No, no, I can't. Do you feel that way in your own life, that you've come to the point that you're desperate today because you know you don't have the sovereign ability to fix everything in your life? You don't have the sovereign ability to fix everything going on in your family's life. Good. 
that's a good place to be. Because in that moment, you're desperate for Jesus, just like Jairus was, and just like this woman that had the discharge of blood. Both of these individuals were desperate for Jesus in terms of their health. But notice they were also desperate for Jesus in their home life. And that's where many of you are today. You're desperate for Jesus in your health. You're desperate for Jesus in your home. But don't miss the bigger picture here. As J.C. Ryle says, he says that this woman's spiritual, pardon me, this woman's physical uncleanness with her discharge is a greater picture of our spiritual uncleanness because of sin. And Jairus' daughter who dies physically is a greater picture of how we are spiritually dead without Jesus. When we find ourselves spiritually unclean and spiritually dead, do you know what you need? A sovereign Savior who has the ability to forgive you, the ability to cleanse you, the ability to resurrect you spiritually. And he can. But that wouldn't be worth two hills worth of beans if Jesus didn't have another sovereign ability. Have you ever been in a, in a situation or circumstance where you knew that you had the answer or you knew you had the capability to handle something, but you couldn't do it because your, your hands were tied, because you didn't have the authority to make it happen? Have you ever, anybody ever been in a situation like that? Isn't that frustrating? When you're sitting back, you're like, I know the answer to that. I know how to fix that. But I don't have the place or the position to do it. And what we see in this passage is that not only is Jesus our sovereign Savior, who's worthy of our trust in moments of desperation because he has a sovereign ability to handle everything, but Jesus also has a sovereign authority over everyone and everything. How do we see that in this passage? Well, the doctrine of justification by faith is highlighted twice in this passage. You know what the doctrine of justification by faith explains? It explains how anyone is saved. The doctrine of justification teaches how we're declared righteous in God's eyes, how we're declared innocent of all the guilty charges we know we're guilty of, because God the Father has counted Christ's substitutionary sacrifice to our lives and our accounts. Well, how do we receive that justification? The Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us, because the Bible teaches us, that the justification for our sins is received, how? By faith alone. And so the doctrine of justification by faith is revealed in this passage in two verses, verse 48 and verse 50. Let's take a look. It says in verse 48, after the woman's come trembling to Jesus, and we're going to focus more on that in just a few moments, about why she comes trembling to Jesus. Jesus looks at her in verse 48 and he says to her, daughter... Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She's healed not because she has some superhuman strength of faith, but because she's placed all of her dependence and her trust upon the right object of her faith. What was the correct object of her faith? It was Jesus. And what made Jesus 
the appropriate object of her faith is because Jesus is the sovereign Savior who has the sovereign ability to save her, to heal her, and also has the sovereign authority to make her right with him. Look at Jesus' sovereign authority in verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing the fact that Jairus' daughter had died, answered and said to him in verse 50, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. He's commanding them to do not be afraid. What is he saying? He's teaching them the doctrine of justification by faith, that he's going to heal this girl. He's going to save this girl. And how will they receive this gift of healing and this gift of salvation? Through faith, by wholly leaning and wholly trusting on Jesus. And why is Jesus worthy of that trust? Why is Jesus worthy of that dependence? Because he's a sovereign Savior with the sovereign ability to resurrect the dead and the sovereign authority to declare those that are spiritually dead, you are spiritually alive. How many of you have seen the movie about Benghazi by show of hands? I'm just curious. Not oh, a few. Okay, only a couple of you. Wow, okay. Powerful movie. A frustrating movie, in my opinion. If you remember what happened in Benghazi with the Benghazi attack on 9-11-2012, the American diplomat compound was under attack around 9.40 p.m. And then another building was attacked, a CIA annex, by about, by about 4 o'clock a.m. in the morning. As you watch the movie, what you see is a couple of contractors who used to be special forces and used to be uh, Navy SEALs that are there for the purpose they're employed to protect these people, but they're waiting on the green light from the higher-ups in our country that they can go defend this compound and and defend the annex. And there's frustration In the movie, you can see it in in the panic of those that have the ability within themselves to go on the attack against those who are part of the militant group. But what are they waiting on? They're getting frustrated because they have the ability. They've been trained to attack those who attack our diplomats. But they have not been given the authority to defend it. It's terribly frustrating, and you get frustrated as you watch the movie. Friends, be encouraged. You serve a sovereign Savior who not only has the ability to save you, who not only has the ability to heal you, who not only has the ability to change you and sustain you, he's got the authority. He's got the authority. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And so when Jesus, the righteous judge, the head of his church, says you are forgiven, you are to be healed, it is so. Why? Because he's the sovereign savior with the sovereign authority to make it so.
But that wouldn't mean a hill of beans. If Jesus had the ability and authority to heal us and save us, unless he was willing to do something with it. And that's the final way that we see that Jesus is our sovereign Savior in this passage, is not only he has the sovereign ability to save you, not only does he have the sovereign ability to change you, but he has this, not only the sovereign authority to do so, but I want you to notice his sovereign affection in this passage. Absolute affection in this passage. Do you know Jesus loves you? Do you know that when you pray to him, he intercedes on your behalf? Do you know that he weeps for you? Look at Jesus' sovereign affection in this passage. I want you to look at it first. And the woman with the discharge who comes to Jesus in verse... Let's look at verse 45 and following. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. I love the picture of this scene. Here's what happens. Jesus stops the crowd. He stops the parade and he says, Okay, who touched me? If you take a look at the original language, here's the picture that you get. I didn't touch you, Jesus. Did you touch me? I didn't touch, no, I didn't, I didn't touch Jesus. Who touched Jesus? I didn't, I didn't touch Jesus. Like everybody's going around. Everybody's in, in the denial game. I, Jesus, I wasn't touching you. No, it wasn't me. And then finally, Peter speaks up, which is what we're all thinking. to say, okay, Jesus, well, you know, you're kind of surrounded by the crowd here. It's kind of like you're at a big concert here. And how are you going to know which one touched you and which one didn't? And Jesus says, no, I, I could sense that power left me. And it says in verse 47, the, women's, the woman's coming to Jesus. You think at first just embarrassed, but there's something far more deep, deeper going on here. It says, verse 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. Do you know why she's trembling? Do you? It's not because she's an introvert, though she may have been. Leviticus 15 says that when a woman has a discharge of blood, she's considered ceremonially unclean. And when she has a discharge of blood for as many years as this woman had, she would have been isolated from worship for 12 years. And the reason why she comes to Jesus trembling and afraid is that she knows that she, though she was ceremonially unclean, just touched the rabbi, Jesus, just touched the Messiah, Jesus, and based on Jewish law would have been guilty of making the Messiah unclean. That's why she's afraid. But how does Jesus respond? With affection. Because she didn't make him unclean because of his ability and authority. But what happens? He made her whole. Look at the affection in Jesus. This is the only time in the Gospels this word is said. I want the women and I want the teenage girls and the children of this church to hear these words in verse 48. 
I want you to hear how much Jesus loves the women of his church. He looks at her in verse 48 and he says, daughter. It's the only time it appears in any of the Gospels. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus doesn't scold her for touching him. He shows her compassion and affection. Look at Jesus' affection. In verse 54 and 55, with the healing of Jairus' daughter, look at Jesus' sovereign affection. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And with that imperative, it says in verse 55, Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. I love Luke's gospel. You know why? He includes, just like a doctor, he includes all these nerdy little details that no one else includes. Like if I was writing the gospel, I'd been like, and he healed her. But he adds, hey, somebody get this kid something to eat. Get her a bowl of Cheerios. Get her a donut. They got some good ones down there at Bartow ARP Church. What do we see here in our Savior? Not only his sovereign ability and authority to heal her, to resurrect the dead, but we see sovereign affection when he looks at her and says, Child, arise. And then he cares enough about her to say, Guys, she's hungry. Get her something to eat. Reminds me of a story, a true story, a number of years ago. I was serving as an associate pastor at, at a church in West Virginia. And we had a Sunday evening service, and there was a family that I loved by the name of the Wall, the Walls, the Wall family. And I loved the Wall family because they were just good, down-to-earth people, um, good folks. And they, they, they ran a tight ship in their house. They ran a, a tight ship, and they knew how to you know, get their, their, their children to behave. And I'll never forget one Sunday evening service. Kind of like we have, when we have Vesper services, you know how we'll have special music, and sometimes people will sing a solo. Well, Anne Marie was the mother, and Anne Marie was up on the stage of the church and there at that church, and she was singing a solo. Well, her youngest daughter was named Brooke, and Brooke kind of wiggled free from Grandma and made her way, made a straight beeline down the church, the middle of the church, and made her way up onto the stage. Now, yeah, maybe a little bit weird, but I really enjoy sometimes hearing, you know, seeing kids get disciplined because I just like knowing, okay, parents are right, running a tight ship and probably just reminds me of some, some wonderful days in my life. But I kind of peeked up in curiosity when, when Brooke made a straight beeline for the stage of the church and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. Oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be a very interesting worship service because she's about ready to get disciplined in front of the entire church. I remember I almost started salivating with excitement. I know I'm weird. But what happened was, is that at that point, I hope this truth rings true for you in your heart as well, but as Brooke made her way to the stage, Anne-Marie simply motioned for her like this as Anne-Marie continued to sing. And as Brooke made her way to the stage, she stood beside her mommy her mommy put her arm around her, petted her head while she finished singing the solo in the church. Now, initially, I was disappointed. But then I was reminded that even in the midst of our disobedience, 
how Jesus loves us. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. And why is that gospel truth so precious to us? Because Jesus is a sovereign Savior. With the sovereign ability to save you, with the sovereign authority to make it happen, and with sovereign affection to make it true. And so now, I end today with this. It's another story, but it's a good story and a true story. How are we to respond? If Jesus is a sovereign Savior, how are we to respond? Well, my friend Stacy Cox, Dr. Stacy Cox, was here this weekend, and he shared this story about how we should respond to Jesus as our sovereign Savior. He told the story of a missionary by the name of, of John Patton that went to uh, minister as a missionary to a bunch of cannibals. As he ministered to those cannibals, he noticed that they did not have the gospel and the Bible written in their native language. And so John Patton worked with someone who could speak English about how to translate the Bible into their own language. And John Patton really struggled with the word to use for faith in their language. And so John Patton got a lady to come and meet with him. And he, and he asked the woman, he said, now when I sit on this chair, what's that word? And she told him. He thought, okay. And she said, but you're still kind of got your body resting with your feet. He said, okay. He said, what's the word in your language if I sit on this chair and I lift up my feet? And she said, the other word in the language. And John Patton got excited. It says that he was a lady. He said, that's the word for faith. Because my entire weight is leaning on this chair. How do you respond to a sovereign Savior, friends? You lean wholly on Him. Safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, 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 leaning on the everlasting arms. Why? Because Jesus is your sovereign Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of worship this morning. You're worthy of glory. You're worthy of honor. You're worthy of praise because you are our sovereign Savior. Help us to lean wholly and completely upon you, Lord Jesus, this day. Because we're desperate. We're desperate for you to forgive us. We're desperate for you to change us. We're desperate for you to sustain us. Because only you can save us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people agreed saying, Amen.